Jesus is everything you need. Come on, give a shout of praise to our great God. Come on, like you mean it. Man, it is great to see you. It's a blessing for me to hear you sing to our great God. Well, welcome everyone. My name is Omar, and I have the honor and the privilege of serving as the lead pastor here at Christ Fellowship. And uh, today we are on our third week of a series called Ancient Stories. And sometimes when we look at the Bible, we think these are just old Bible stories that have nothing to teach us. But the truth of the matter is that they have a lot to show us on how to have healthy relationships today. And so for the rest of the series, we're going to be covering a lot of really great topics, things like parenting, grandparenting, singleness, friendships, blended family, family issues. It's going to be really, really uh, great to, to dive into all these stories. But today we're going to wrap up the, the, the first portion of this series which de deals with marriages. And today we're going to be looking at the ancient story of King David and his wife, Michael. And so I am ready to dive into God's Word. Are you all ready? And so if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18. And you can follow along with me as I read. Listen to what God's Word says. Now Saul's daughter, Michael, what? Oh, a little louder. What? Yeah, she loved David. And they told Saul, her father, and the thing pleased him. And Saul gave him his daughter Michael for a wife. But when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, what? Loved him. In other words, this was a couple that loved, loved, loved each other. Amen. That is God's word. You can go ahead and take a seat at all campuses. And to start off, let me just ask us uh, a quick question. How many of you, by show of hands, are Beatles fans, the band The Beatles, by show of hands? Yeah, way, yeah, way more than I thought. And, and I have to be honest, listen, I, I'm not the biggest Beatles fan. Uh, and not because I don't like their music. I think they have great music. But honestly, they were just before my time. But if there's one song that I've always heard and enjoyed from The Beatles, it's a song, All You Need Is... Love. You know, this song was written back in 1967, where in a time where there was so much war and pain and division and chaos in this country. And so the Beatles wanted to emphasize the importance of love. In fact, just to reminisce a little bit, take a listen. I see a lot of head boppings out there when they were listening to that. But you know, what, what a great song, right? Because this song spurred the nation into a vibe. That regardless of what you do in life, regardless of the journey that you start in this life, all you need is love, love, love. And church family, let me just bring all that over to our time together because folks, what an image of the mentality that so many couples enter marriage with. And by that I mean that just like the Beatles thought that all you need is love, 
just like that. And here's the main idea as we dive into God's word. You know, many uh, young couples enter marriage and, th- and they think that all they need to have a great, long-lasting, healthy marriage is love. In fact, the reason that they got together, that they got married was because they loved each other. But here's a sad truth. When over 50% of marriages in this country end in divorce, all you need is not just love. All it can be is not just romantic love. There has to be something else that helps a marriage last a lifetime and be healthy in every way. And who knows, maybe you're out there right now, you're thinking, Omar, I'm, I'm, I'm tracking with you because when I got married to my spouse, you know, we were so in love. Oh, I remember that day, we were so in love. You know, we had, you know, butterflies and all that good stuff. And, you know, the years have passed and things are, you know, we still love each other. But, man, just throughout the years, our marriage has really eroded a little bit. It's just not what it used to be. So what is this other key aspect of a marriage that really helps it, preserve it, and last a long time? Well, we're going to find out from an ancient story found in 1 Samuel chapter 18. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel 18. You can fire up your Christ Fellowship apps and you can follow along there with us. Terrific app that you can use. And today I have three thoughts for us on what it takes to have a healthy marriage. So write this down as point number one. Listen, honor. Honor is foundational to a healthy marriage. Now with that in mind, let's go to the passage for today. Let's do what it says. Now Saul's daughter Michael, what? Loved David. And they told Saul, her father, and the thing pleased him. So Saul thought, let me give her to him that she may be a snare for him and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. He wasn't a fan of David. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, you shall now be my son-in-law. And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be this king's son-in-law. And before the time had expired, David arose and went along with his men and killed 200 Philistines, an enemy of Israel. And Saul gave him his daughter Michael for a wife. But when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, what? Loved him. Now, now stop right there for a moment. Because as you can see, David and Michael entered into this marriage because they were in love. You know, I'm sure that Michael, when she saw David walking down the street, all cute, all handsome, you know, she got butterflies. She had hard eyes looking at David. And David apparently loved Michael so much that he went out and killed 200 Philistines, 200 enemies of Israel for the hand of her uh, in marriage. And so, as, at, and so this was a couple that was in love. And we know how important love is because love is what enables a relationship, a marriage to start. And love is also important because it enables that relationship to flourish over time. But folks, not only do we see that David and Michael here loved each other, but early on they also honored each other. In fact, just one chapter later, Saul, uh, who was jealous of David, wanted to actually kill David. 
And so when Michael found out that they were coming for David, Michael honored David over her own father, told David what was going on. He escaped out the window, and then she made a dummy of hay underneath the covers, and they, and they fooled the enemy. And so it was evident that early on, listen, they not only just loved each other as young kids, but listen, they honored each other. Now, the word honor throughout Scripture is a, is a very powerful concept. In fact, in the Hebrew Scriptures, in the original language, the word honored is the word kavod. And the word kavod literally means to be heavy or to be weighty. And so here's the concept behind honor in Scripture. Just like when something's very heavy, think about this. When something's very heavy, you handle it with great care, you value it. Just like that, listen, when you want to honor someone, you treat them with care. Anything and everything pertaining to them, listen, since you highly value them, you treat them with great care as like if you were carrying something that was very heavy and very valuable. And so you see, when God brings two people together in marriage, not only does he command them to love one another, he also commands them to honor one another. In fact, wives, listen to what God's word says in the book of Ephesians chapter 5. It says this. It says, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she what? She respects her husband, that she would honor her husband. In other words, in anything and everything you do, you ought to live a life that's honoring to your husband. And then husbands, listen, you're not off the hook because listen to what God's word says in 1 Peter chapter 3. It says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing what? Showing what? Showing honor. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. So husbands, every single time that you look at your bride, listen, remind yourself that your bride, she is heir of the things to come, of all the blessings and the kingdom of God just like you are. So whether you think she's good or bad, God is calling you to honor your wife. In fact, God is so adamant that we honor each other, that he tells the husband, listen, that if you don't honor your wife, your prayers are hindered. You know, so many men are praying for a breakthrough at work, in their career, in a financial situation, but God looks at you and says, listen, your prayers to me are hindered because you're not honoring the bride that I gave you. And so family, listen, honor is an important thing aspect of a relationship with God puts a lot of emphasis. And here, folks, why honor is foundational to a healthy marriage. Write this down as letter A. Is because honor, listen carefully, honor preserves a marriage. You see, when two people strive to honor one another, listen, it, it works to preserve that marriage almost like, almost like salt works to preserve food. You know, salt is something that is very common nowadays, while we all have it in our cupboards. But the truth of the matter is that salt at one point was very, very, it was a rare commodity to the point that they would use it as currency. 
And suddenly the reason for that is because before there were refrigerators, salt was used to actually preserve food, specifically meat. And family, here's how it works. Because as the meat ages, listen carefully, as the meat ages, bacteria will begin to grow on the, on the, on the skin of the meat, and little by little, it will begin to rot the meat. But when salt is present, here's what happens. It actually works to neutralize that bacteria. When salt is there present, it actually works to wreak havoc on the enzymes and breaks down the bacteria's DNA. And so it doesn't matter how much bacteria would try to grow on the meat. If salt was present, it would neutralize the effect of that bacteria. And family, what a picture of what honor does to a marriage. Because as a marriage ages, just like meat ages, just when a marriage ages, listen, there are going to be feelings that start growing in that marriage. You know, feelings of anger, of bitterness, disappointments, all these different things. But when honor is present, it has a way of neutralizing the effects of all those emotions. You see, a long-lasting marriage is not one that has never experienced any challenges or difficulties along the way. Listen, in every single marriage that has gone a long time, there have been many feelings of anger, of bitterness, of sadness, of disappointments. But usually what happens is that when honor is present, it has a way of neutralizing the side effects of all those different emotions. And here's how honor works to, prefer, to preserve a marriage. Write this down as letter B. It's because honor, now think about this carefully, honor controls what you say and what you do. In other words, honor preserves a marriage because it literally controls anything and everything that pertains to your marriage. So for example, honor determines the words and the tone of your words when you're having a difficult conversation. See, honor is what causes a husband to resist looking at an attractive woman when his wife is not around. Honor for his wife is what prevents a husband to look at that woman with lustful eyes. See, honor is what causes a spouse to resist committing to something or making a big expenditure without first talking to the other spouse to make sure that you're both aligned. See, honor, listen carefully, parents, honor is what controls what you say to your children about your spouse when they are not around and you're upset with them. See, honor works. Honor has a way of preserving a marriage by really impacting, directing, guiding everything you do in your marriage. And so if honor works to preserve your marriage, listen carefully, the opposite is true as well. In fact, write this down as big number two. This honor, on the other hand, erodes a marriage. Now, going, let's go back to the story of King David and Michael. Because as the years progressed and they got older, 
it is evident that David and Michael were not honoring each other like they did at the beginning. In fact, there was a moment where the Ark of the Covenant was coming into Jerusalem. And the Ark of the Covenant is very, very important for the people of Israel. It represented the presence of God. And so it was a big deal for the Ark of the Covenant to enter. And so as they were bringing in the Ark of the Covenant, listen to what happens in 2 Samuel chapter 6. Listen carefully. It says, And David danced before the Lord with all of his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. Key phrase there, a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. And so let me give you a, a quick context here. So, so as David's coming in, right, he's dancing and he gets caught, so it, uh, you know, he gets caught up in all, this, uh, in all this celebration that he gets strips down to his undergarments. You know, the linen ephod is pretty like an underwear for those people in that day. And so he gets down, he strips down, he has this linen ephod, and he's dancing before everyone in that time. And so listen to what happens next because it's almost like a lifetime movie, right? Forget TV, you can just read the Bible. It says this, And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she what? Despised him in her heart. In other words, she was angry. And David returned to bless his household. But Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king has honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows that shamelessly uncovers himself. Now, let's be honest here. It was probably... Not the wisest thing for David to strip down to his undergarments and start dancing before the Lord. In fact, put it like this. Imagine we're having like a big celebration here at Christ Fellowship, right? This is packed. We're, it's huge. We're all celebrating. We're all, you know, loving the Lord. All, And I'm here in the front, and I get so caught up in all this worship that, you know what, I'm going to take my shirt off. And I get in my, un my undershirt, and I, and I get in my boxer shorts, and I'm dancing up here. Listen, listen. You know who's not, you know who's not clapping? Ashley's not clapping. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. If Ashley sees me, listen, I'm in trouble because she's not having that. And so the truth of the matter, you know, it was not the wisest thing for David to do all this in front of all the people of Israel and all the young ladies and all the people watching. But folks, the, the issue is not that Michael was upset about this situation. There was reason for her not to be the happiest camper. But the issue is how she approached David. You see, she did it in a dishonoring manner. Instead of when he would come and say, hey, David, sweetie, is it wise for you, the king of Israel, to get down in your underwear and, and, and dance? Is this with all these young ladies watching you? Is that the proper thing to do? I'm just giving you, she didn't do that. Instead, she, she caught him outside, started pretty much screaming at him, and called him a vulgar man. And so then listen to how David responds. And David said to Michael, 
It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all of his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. And I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. And I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Now, folks, what do we see here? Right? We see that David returns dishonor with more dishonor. And not only did he insult the memory of her father who had already passed away, he, he goes on to tell her that he was going to distance himself so much from her, cast her off to the point that she would never have a child to the day of her death. So this poor girl, to the day of her death, she couldn't have a child because this is what David did to her. And so notice, this dishonoring back and forth began to erode the marriage. And folks, the same thing could happen in your marriage and in my marriage. Because perhaps we're not in the same situation that David and Michael are, were, but the reality is that in our personal relationships, in our issues at home, we can get back into the cycle of dishonor back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And you know what happens after, after a while? When there's enough dishonoring going on in a home, it starts wearing down a, a marriage like like waves hitting a rock in the sea. You know, it, it, the, the rock, when it first starts off so strong or so solid, after a while, when there's waves that hit it day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, listen, it takes a toll on that rock and it begins to crumble and little by little it begins, begins to erode. And family, what a picture of what happens in a marriage. Because when there is waves of this honor hitting the marriage, day after day, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, listen, it begins to take an effect on your marriage whether you like it or not. And family, here's the consequences of when you enter into this pattern. Write this down as letter A. First of all, dishonor leads your spouse to dishonor you. Right? You get into the cycle of dishonor, but listen to the other effect that many people don't realize. Parents, listen up. Dishonor leads your children to dishonor you. See, the other major consequence of a husband and wife who are constantly dishonoring each other is that it leads their children to end up dishonoring them. And here's why. It's because when they see mom and dad, the way that they speak to each other, the way that they treat each other, the way that they dishonor each other, the way that they devalue each other, the way they see mom and dad interact is the same way that they'll end up interacting and honoring them. In fact, think about this. You rarely see a couple who has done their best to honor each other. Not perfectly, but done their best to honor each other. You rarely see their children end up being children who constantly dishonor their parents. But on the other hand, you see, when you see a couple who is constantly dishonoring each other, devaluing each other, listen, 
more often times than not, you see those children end up dishonoring them just like the way that they treat each other. And folks, sometimes parents, we come to a point that we're thinking, why, why is my child speaking to me like this? Why are they acting like this? Why are they doing this? You know why? Because you taught them to. You taught them by the way you treated your husband and your wife. Because the way that they saw you interacting, the way that they saw you valuing each other, that's exactly the way they're going to treat you. And so family, it's so important to understand that dishonor in a marriage not only erodes the actual relationship, but it also erodes the family dynamic and the way that your children behave. Amen? And so family, we cannot be ignorant of the consequences of this honor in a family. So we wonder, Omar, we know we get the point. We need to honor each other in a marriage, but, but how can we do that? Because sometimes I feel like we're stuck in this cycle, and I don't want to get out of it. Well, to write this down as big number three, because today I want to give you three principles on how to have an honoring marriage, all right? Now here's the first one. Write this down as letter A. The first one is make honor a primary goal in your marriage, a primary goal. In fact, listen to what God's word says in Romans chapter 12. It says this. It says, love one another with brotherly affection, and listen carefully, outdo one another in showing what? And what? Honor. Oh, pastor, that's not a marriage verse. That's just a, for all people. Yes, you know who is, who's included in that group? Your spouse. That command is especially important to your spouse and, and the way you relate to them. So listen, God's word is saying love one another with an affection, romantic affection, and affection for Christ, right, for, for, uh, as a brother and sister in Christ. But I love that. It says outdo one another in showing honor to each other. You know, so many couples have so many goals in their life. They have financial goals. They have career goals. They have vacation goals. They have children goals. But if you want to have a goal in your marriage that's worthwhile, make honoring each other a goal. Amen? And I love it because it almost like the Apostle Paul is almost saying here, like, almost like play a game. Who's going who's gonna to honor each other more? Outdo one another in showing honor. And so it's maybe healthy for you to have a conversation with your husband and with your wife to say, you know what? Let's make, let's honor each other. Let's make that a goal in our relationship. Because I'm telling you, the moment you operate with that mentality, it starts impacting everything you do. And here's the second key uh, component. Write this down as letter B. When in a fight, fight for honor. Fight for honor. Listen, I know we are at church here, and we don't like to talk about this, but listen, couples argue. Couples get into debates. Couples fight. You may be sitting here right now watching and you're pretending everything's fine, but in the car you were going at it with your spouse. Right? And so here's what happens. And we talked about emotions in, in weeks prior. 
what happens when you're in these hard conversations, you know what happens? Emotions start coming up, right? Emotions start rising. You get angry. You get frustrated. All these feelings start arising. And in those moments, you think to yourself, well, if I dishonor them now, I'm going to get a, a leg up on this, uh, on this argument. I'm going I'm to show them. I'm going to take the upper hand of this argument. But the reality is that when you dishonor each other in those really tense conversations, it makes, it, it causes and inflicts some wounds that sometimes last days, months, years, and sometime a life, sometimes a lifetime. And so what I want to challenge us couples and singles, if you're getting ready for a future marriage, listen up because it's for you as well. Listen, when you fight, make a commitment. Yeah, you, you're going to have that argument. But fight to honor each other in the midst of it. Don't allow yourself in the middle of this argument to dishonor each other because that's when big damage happens. Isn't that right? And so listen, when you're in a fight, you fight for honor. And write this down as letter C. And when dishonored, listen, simply this, follow the example of Christ. In fact, listen to what God's word says in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you may follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, neither was his seed found in his mouth. And when he was reviled or when he was dishonored, what did he do? Did he dishonor back? No. He did not rebound and return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Listen, when the Lord of glory, who is worthy of all honor, when he was dishonored, what did he do? He's, he didn't dishonor back. He entrusted himself to who? To his heavenly father. Listen, if you want to break this cycle of dishonor in your family, whether it's in a marriage or whether it's in a family situation, listen, when dishonored, follow the example of Christ. Follow the example of the Lord and trust the situation to him and let him allow, allow him to work in that situation. And, you know, maybe right now, maybe you're here and the reason that you cannot come to a point where you can trust the Lord with certain situations in your life is because maybe you don't have even a relationship with God. In fact, listen to what it says in the very next verse in, 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 second, in First Peter. It says this. It says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to what? Righteous. To righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were strained like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd the overseer of your soul. Listen, perhaps you started coming to our church or started tuning in online at the beginning of the series because you're having some relational issues. 
And say, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you've come, that you're tuning in. But let me tell you something. You can hear all these sermons, but if you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, all this is not going to work. It, it, it all starts with you having personal, a personal relationship with the, with the Lord who loves you and died for you. And so whether you're single or you're married, you're probably thinking, well, Omar, how, how, can you, how can I get right with God? How can I start a walk with the Lord? How, how can I do that? Is it by coming and sitting down at church? Is, is, it, is it good deeds? I mean, I could do, I, I'm a good person at work. I do good things. Is it a ritual? Uh, I did a, a little a ritual when I was a little, a little kid at church. Listen, you can do all those things. But that doesn't mean that you have a personal relationship with Christ. Because the only way to have a personal relationship with the Lord is by surrendering your life and putting your faith and trust in Christ. It's just faith. See, one of the most famous passages in Scripture is John 3, 16. You've probably heard it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever what believes shall not perish but have everlasting life. You see, there has to be a moment in your life where you surrender your life to the Lord. You put your trust in the Lord. And the Bible says that the moment you do that, he not only forgives you of all of your sins, but he adopts you as a son and daughter and that from that point on listen not only do you begin a personal relationship with Christ but listen he begins to guide you to work to lead you in every area in your life including your marriage so listen if you want to live the life that God has for you it all begins for you to come and surrender your life to the Lord and saying Lord I put my trust in you the question is will you do so today let's bow our heads for prayer now Lord we are just so grateful that in our relationships in life, you know, Lord, we are in this marriage series, in this relationship series. And Father, we're so grateful that in every single circumstance, you do not leave us alone to our own demise. But Father, you provide your word, you provide your truth, you give us your spirit, you give us everything we need in order to live the life that you envision us to, do, to live. And so, Lord, thank you, O oh God. And Father, my prayer as we conclude this sermon is that for all of us, Father, when we in any relationship that we have, especially in a relationship of marriage, oh, Father, I pray that you solidify a commitment in our hearts, my God, to want and desire to honor the spouse that you have given to us. And so, Father, I pray for a blessing over our marriages, protect our marriages, and let us strive to love each other and honor each other the way that you envision us to do. And with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, I want to speak to those of us who are ready to take that step. Maybe you're by yourself and you're just, man, you just want to start a, a walk with Christ. Or maybe you're here with your spouse and you both know that you are far from God. You've strayed from God and you need to return to the shepherd, the overseer of your soul. And so if that's you right now, listen, I want to lead you through a prayer. And, you know, the, the prayer is not a poem. It's not a script. It's just me helping you talk to the Lord for the very first time. And so when you pray this prayer, you, you don't pray this to me. You pray this to the God who loves you and saved you. I'm just a man. I cannot save you. But you pray to God. He is the one who loves you and is listening right now. So if that's you, whether you're single or married and you want to start a, re a relationship with Christ, pray this with me quietly to yourself. And he's listening. Pray this with me. My Lord, I come before you.
And Father, I realize that throughout my life, I have strayed so far from you. I am a sheep without a shepherd. And Father, today I recognize that you are the great shepherd. So Lord, I come before you and I put my trust in you today. Forgive me for of all of my sin. Lord, I, I ask you for forgiveness. And today, Lord, I put all of my trust no longer in myself, no longer in my good deeds, only on you, O Lord. So Father, save me today, O Lord. Give me everlasting life. And for the rest of my life, help me to live a life that honors you and brings you glory, Lord. So, Father, thank you for saving me today. Thank you, my God, that you love me and help me, Lord, as I move forward. I love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people say, amen. Hey, can we give it up for those who came to know Christ? Listen, the clap of those people is in we love you and we want the best for you. So if you prayed that prayer... Who are, regardless of who you are, I want to challenge you. On your way out, there's a next step booth. Stop by that next step booth. Listen, we want to connect with you for just a minute or so, not too long. We'll put a Bible in your hand. We got a little gift for you. And it'll help us connect our pastors to you so that we can start helping you lead and walk in your new walk with Christ. But if you don't stop, we, we, we can't connect with you. But if you're watching online, same thing. You can go to cfmiami.org slash connect, fill out that form. And one of our pastors or leaders will follow up with you and will help you get started, right? Well, I want to encourage you to come back next week because next week, Pastor Rick Blackwood, our former lead pastor, will be here to, yeah, to teach us. And it'll be awesome to hear from him. And I believe God's going to teach us a lot next week. So be back next week. Bring a friend with you. It's going to be great as we continue this series, all right? Well, I'm going to call all campus pastors to the front. Christ Fellowship, I love you all. Have a great, great weekend.